Welcome to Revolution Solution, providing you with solutions for your revolution to be a free person in an unfree world. Join us in our pursuit of sovereignty through permaculture, technology, and community. Welcome back to Revolution Solution. This is Cody. And I'm Jared. And today uh, we brought on Jared's friend Will to talk about healing at home, hence the title of the episode. Um, before we get into that, though, I want to give a quick reminder that we do have a couple of um, referral links for uh, one's for ButcherBox and the other is for the Fold Card. Um, so get yourself some free bacon and some free sats back if you sign up for those. Um, yeah, we'll just get right into it. Yeah, so we're kind of doing things ass backward here because we had Mongoose Jared on last week to talk trauma care. And now we're kind of going, uh, I don't know, I guess less less critical for a lot of it this time. Just sort of the more typical things that you'll deal with at home to avoid going to ER or primary care or something like that. Just stuff that, you know, probably like. 100, 150 years ago, people would have just known how to do, uh, you know, try and revamp those skills and make sure everybody kind of is able to take care of themselves somewhat, whether whether it's a necessity or just learning a new skill or saving money, whatever. Um, we're going to cover trauma as well. I saw Will had a really good section on a bunch of stuff with trauma care, um, so it would be cool to append to last week's episode as well, but covering the whole gambit. Um so, Will, if you want to discuss a little bit about your background, uh, any sort of detail you want to go into, and why you know some of this medically stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would like to start off. I, uh, it's something that I sort of mentioned to you a little bit earlier, Jared. The, the three E's of proficiency, education, exposure, and um, experience. I wouldn't say I have any – I'll get that out of the way right away. I don't have any – official or proper training or education in any of this. I just have a whole lot of exposure and experience in these situations. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm originally from Wyoming and out there you end up kind of, I mean, I don't know how much all you guys know about Wyoming, but there's less than half a million people in the whole state and it's a pretty big state. And so when you're off on some adventure, it ends up being pretty much uh, just you out there. And if anything happens, it really is just you. So preparation and knowing what to do and Doing when it comes time is not like part of the whole lifestyle out there, uh, which I think is a lot of what this podcast is about uh, in general. Yeah, for but sure. My, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, but my dad, he's um, he's a he's part of the medical unit of a like a, a world class mine rescue team out there. So he's one of the guys that goes down underground, an EMT, and does all the EMT things underground. And so having him as kind of the person who raised me in that Wyoming-ish environment ended up being pretty informally educational, but, but still pretty educational. So that was, that was cool. But then just kind of the way I've lived my life, I've always kind of been an adventurist and had a lot of hobbies that land me in uh, 
situations where I need medical care. <laughs> so I have a lot of exposure from that end as well. Uh, yeah. Um, but that's, that's, that's pretty much it. And I've always just been interested similarly to you guys uh, in, in dealing with stuff yourself. And that's just kind of always been the, the philosophy of my family. And so that's where my education and, or my, uh, my experience and my exposure end up coming from. Cool. Do you want to touch it all on your current uh, studies? I'll leave it as vague as in case you don't want to go into it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jared and I know each other from from school. We were we were both studying engineering, uh, and I ended up going off and doing that and being a mechanical engineer for a while, and that was awesome. Uh, but recently, I've I've taken a switch. I've I've done a full 180, and I'm now going back to school, getting my master's in uh, mental health counseling with a specialization in addictions. And it's 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 incredibly interesting, and I think that some of that will come out in 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 our talk here today for sure. When I get into the non physical side of healing, yeah, super cool, super cool. Um, it's obvious as Will has just given his disclaimer on not being a doctor. And everybody who's listened to an episode before knows that neither Cody or myself are doctors. So none of this is medical advice. So that nobody frowns on us. Uh, these are just. Oop, let go of the shift button. These are just suggestions of things that we've either used or learned enough about to be dangerous to, to try and be the first line of defense to, you know, try and try and deal with things ourselves to avoid, you know, large bills, uh, inconvenience of having to drop everything and go into town, whatever it might be. Um, just some things to consider that might be beneficial to you. Um, so last week, Jared talked about just like a sort of a, a trauma based first aid kit. It was a IFAC, the individual first aid kit. Uh, and it was basically uh, like geared around trauma care, right? So it was like a sucking chest wound kit as many tourniquets as you could fit in there and then pack the rest of it with gauze. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe some sort of a painkiller um, or like, you know, a <laughs> liquor or something just to, to dull the sensation of having to lose a limb, you know? Um, but it was, it was basically just like the bare bones prolong life in a very serious situation. Um, so I wanted to get your input here, kind of going from that, knowing that, you know, if, the the uh, the wise listeners already put that part together. What else would you suggest for a, a typical family just have at home to deal with? You know, like I don't know, decent cuts, bruises, things of that nature. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm actually I'm really glad that you guys already did a lot of the the trauma stuff because that the the holy moly my arm just got cut off thing is is probably past my. <laughs> that's my expertise but uh yeah yeah absolutely so i mean i think so i'm not a 30 year old with a wife and two kids but if i were um what i would end up having is just a, a wide variety uh, of medications a few diagnostic things some stuff for bone and joint you know different things for cuts burns and absolutely some feminine products uh and so I, what I would say is I, I put together a small list. Just I kind of ran through my house just to see. Uh, definitely Tylenol and ibuprofen, obviously. Those are things to have on at all times. 
various various vitamins, vitamin C, vitamin B, uh, zinc, and magnesium. Those are the those are the four setups that I generally go for 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 various reasons. Vitamin B is is killer for a lot of things. I mean, it's it's kind of just like a I mean, you talk to people who are sort of depressed or people who are low in energy, they kind of vitamin B and vitamin B supplements are their go to. But when you're um, like acutely low on energy for whatever reason, I mean, you might have an illness, you might have a major injury that's wiping you out. You might have anything that what it does is it helps to convert your food into energy more efficiently and so it's it's really helpful for a lot of reasons and i think that's one thing that i would like to say about a lot of this stuff is knowing why it works because a lot of the stuff that's on the label for what you're supposed to be using it for that's just one application it's a common application and so something like antihistamines allergy medicine antihistamine just means it kind of basically dries you out in a lot of ways and that is handy in a lot of different situations. I mean, you might have, I mean, you might have a cat that's got some issue with their eye and it's just profusely watering like crazy or something, some, something like that, some family issue and antihistamines, just as an example. But I also have turmeric. Turmeric is a big one for joints. Um, I recently tore my ACL and, and holy moly, I mean, so the very first time I, I got back on my snowboard after I tore my ACL, it was still pretty, it was probably sooner than I should have. I mean, I definitely, <laughs> doing doing things like going for a run around the block, I would notice my knee would be kind of sore. I mean, just around the block. But I hopped on that. I mean, I took one turmeric supplement at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, and I never felt any knee pain the whole entire time. And turmeric does an amazing job for a whole lot of things, but one of them is is joint. Um, ginger, plantain, plantain that not like the giant banana, but plantain like the like the, the weed, herb. the leaves, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That that stuff is killer. I mean, you just go pick some of that out of your front lawn, chew it up, and slap it on something, and it'll suck all of the infection or pus or whatever is on there right out. It, it does a great job. Nice. Yeah, hell yeah, plantains cool. everywhere too. It is. Uh, it's it's a little like a uh, pine cone looking, like a, like an acorn sized pine cone is the the flower stalk for it. Bees love it. So like first thing that comes up in the spring, you see the bees flying around. That's probably your plantain. Yeah, and it's I mean it's absolutely in your yard. I mean it's sticking up between the sidewalk cracks. It's it's everywhere. Um, thermometer, eye wash. Definitely have isopropyl alcohol uh, for various injuries, like little ones. Uh, definitely Vaseline or some antibiotic cream comes in handy in a million different ways. Benadryl. And Benadryl has certain side effects that some people don't love, but sometimes those are exactly what you need in certain situations. I mean, just like you're saying, throw some throw some alcohol, throw some booze in your kit for painkiller. There's some, the, the Benadryl will, the drowsiness of it ends up being a lot more handy than you think when it's exactly what you need. But honey is a big one. Honey is a huge one. I, I would put honey on a wound before I would put Neosporin on a wound. And I think Neosporin does a great job on a wound. Uh, I've, I've, I've had major gashes in different parts of my body that honey has healed up and left with far less scar tissue than other ones that I've done with Neosporin. That's awesome. 
Yes, it's it's a it's an anti everything. I mean, it's an antibiotic. It's antiseptic. It's antiviral. There are very few things that are all of that, and it's and it's set up in a way that just seems to work really well. Uh, aloe for sure. Some Pedialyte, but I wouldn't necessarily. You really need Pedialyte. Pedialyte and Gatorade are almost exactly the same thing. Um, Vicks Vapor Rub, some Lactaid, something to to flush you <laughs> if you need to. <laughs> but uh, but honestly, licorice tea works just as well. Licorice tea is awesome. It might take like a day, but that day is going to be a day. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, antihistamines, like I said, so basically, you know, Zyrtec, Allegra, Claritin, whatever. Um, antibiotics like doxycycline. I mean, that's that's a helpful thing when you have an infection that you don't really know what's going on with it, or or what, or maybe it's an infection that is pretty obvious. You know, it's just a surface infection, but you want to be a little bit more on it. You know, not just hitting it from the outside, but hitting it from the inside. An antibiotic is really handy. Um have one of every brace at least one maybe two or three uh and that just comes with experience but honestly now that i have them all when things happen especially with friends or, or family members or people who are just in the area and need it it's really nice to have it right then and there um i have multiple knee braces several different kinds of knee brace ones that are specific for compression ones that are specific for holding your patella in place Ones that have big metal, like big steel hinges, spring-loaded hinges on them, just in case. Definitely two different rift traces. You need a right and a left. I've been caught in that conundrum before. <laughs> um, ankle brace. Elbow braces are nice, but... I mean, most of these things you can also get by with an ace bandage. Definitely ace bandages. Different widths and different lengths. Um, crutches. Crutches are really good to have. Also comes with experience. Uh, a bunch of different nice ice packs are really nice to have. I mean, the the chemical ones, the pop it and go ones, those are nice. Um, but you don't want to only have those. I mean, it's, that would be a pain when you have an actual thing that you're dealing with for a while and not just like an emergency situation. You want to have a few in the freezer and different sizes and different shapes are really, really handy. Um, all kinds of different band-aids. Band-aids are really nice, and there are things that you can do with band-aids that most people don't realize you can do with band-aids. Like if you fold it in half, hamburger style, and then uh, cut some slits out of the pad part of it, sort of like uh, you would when you're making a snowflake out of paper, and then open it up. It becomes basically kind of like stitches. You can kind of you stick the one adhesive side to one side of the slice, and then pull it across and stick it to the other side and it's wide open so that you can still get Neosporin and honey or whatever on top of it. It can still breathe. You can do that along. You can put a few of those makeshift butterfly band-aids along a long slice. And then while it's still open, you can run a bead of super glue on it. Definitely have super glue. That's what it was originally made for. Yeah. Uh, it's not bad for you or anything like that. It does a great job. Great, great job. So yeah, if you were to Stick a few of those makeshift butterfly bandages right down a slice, and then run a bead of super glue on it. Those will hold it together while the super glue dries. And then once, I mean, and you can still continuously apply like a secondary superficial gauze on there and replace that over and over again. And when those things come, you know, done, when the band-aids are done, you can just cut off the sticky or the yeah the adhesive parts of them and leave the part that's super glued on there there until your skin pretty much 
dies on the outside and all of that, including the super glue, falls off. That is a great way to not have to get stitches. Um, wow. Yeah, which and that I've done several like I've done that way up in the mountains a bunch of times. <laughs> and that's that's a handy, handy thing to be able to do. Um, uh, a syringe is a big deal. Definitely have a syringe. You never know when you're going to need to draw something out of you. Um, I have a big, huge syringe. I have a German Shepherd, and sometimes the way their chest cavity is set up, it's easy for them to drink too much water and then contort themselves in a weird way and accidentally flip their stomach over, uh, causing a pressure build in one area that can kill them pretty fast. Well, not fast, actually. Uh, faster than you can get to the vet if you're way out in the middle of nowhere, but slow enough to where it's the worst thing in the world to witness. And so if you have a syringe, you just stick it in there and draw the pressure out. And that's a that's a common thing. And that's I mean, when I was younger, we had a dog die because we didn't have a syringe. Now I have a syringe and I am able to prevent that from happening. Um, Wait, so you use a needle with that, too? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You could use a needle, but the you really want a needle that has like a hole in the middle, like a straw. Because then it can just kind of stay in there, sort of like if you were going to do like a tracheotomy or something like that, you wouldn't. It's got to be able to get out. Okay, I'm just thinking of the dog when you're pumping his stomach or whatever, like what that actually looks like, because I can't picture it in my head. Oh, it's like a gas buildup, and you're just letting it out, pretty much. So you could just like stab him, but the the hollowness of the needle from a syringe, and you need it to be really deep. I mean, you want like a a pretty long syringe. It's like nine inches long. Um, the needle part of it and that that makes it just a lot a lot cleaner process because then it can all get done like all of the gas can leak out and then you remove the syringe and deal with it like a wound but if you were to just stick them with a really long non-syringe type needle like a sharpened knitting needle or something and then pull that knitting needle out now that hole that you just made is going to fill with all kinds of fluids and blood and stuff like that and Maybe it'll work well. Maybe it won't. Maybe that gas will escape into some other part of their body. Maybe it'll blow th- all the fluids out of the hole that you just made. Maybe it won't. But the the syringe is nice to have, at least at your house. I mean, it's, it's good. Okay. So, have- yeah, I'm just clarifying. When you say syringe, you mean a syringe and needle like combo, not just the the tube part. Yeah. Yes. Not just the not just the plunger. The this the you, yeah. The, like the plunger and go. cylinder and the big long needle that goes with it for sure. Sweet. Okay. Yes. Not like the, for prescribing, uh, Benadryl to little kids type. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, a like, like you would get, you would get it. Like if you went to like, um, tractor supply co or a fleet farm or farm and fleet or whatever, or, or whatever, um, kind of super duper blue collar store that you might have wherever you live. Um, they would have what would be called like a veterinary syringe, and it's for mm. horses or cows or whatever. That's that's what you'd want to go buy. Yeah, gotcha. that makes sense. Yeah, and they use them for that. Like when a cow has a really big whatever, you can drain it. Um, but then also forceps and tweezers. I was probably covered a lot last week, maybe, but they're just handy when you get stuff stuck in you that you don't want in you anymore. 
like a porcupine situation or a Cactus. lot of glass or whatever. Um, one thing I don't have, but when I was thinking about it, one I am going to get is a, a medical stapler. Because uh, then you don't have to get stitches either. And But if you just use a regular stapler, those staples aren't stainless steel. And that can be a problem because they'll rust on you, kind of. Mm. And cause weird things. And so medical stapler with medical staples that have short legs, you know. Interesting. Uh, Are they like barbed to hold in there? I don't think so, but I don't know. Jared had discussed uh, staplers in a pinch last week as well. And my only worry with that is that unless you're hitting bone on the other side, you don't have that nice divot that the stapler has, you know, when you use it in a closed situation that causes the legs of the staple to hook and remain in place. Oh, well, I think it still would. I think it would still work. Just the U shapes sticking in there, I think would work pretty well. I would imagine okay. would work, but uh, just cause I know that an indigenous form of staple was like semi-large ants. You would catch them and then you would close your wound, point the ants head towards your cut and it and like it would like stick its two little teeth prong things <laughs> on e on either side of it and bite down and then you'd pop its head off and you basically use ant heads as your staples that's cool that's really cool i've never done it and i've never had the opportunity but i think it is i'd imagine that would cause infection maybe if you didn't know how to handle it more after that but <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> <laughs> but it's a cool idea yeah definitely a cool idea a soft bristled toothbrush that is specifically for this that you don't use for your teeth. When I was growing up, a not so soft bristled toothbrush was used on me more than once trying to scrape gravel and crap out of my road rashes whenever I'd wipe out on different. Oh, shit. Yeah, and that is the freaking worst. So a soft bristled one is nice, but definitely have a toothbrush ready to go for that kind of thing. You want to get all the crap out of there unless you're like in a serious potential shock situation get everything out of there almost no matter how bad it, how bad it hurts because it's going to make life a lot easier you, you just you want to prevent infection um burn gel and then the last one well maybe not the last one but my doll um my doll can come in handy in a million different ways uh i learned from it from my female family members using it during uh that time of the month when things get more difficult. But it is basically pain reliever and caffeine. That is what makes up my doll. It's awesome. It is just caffeine and pain reliever. And it and it it can make a really rough situation into a not as rough situation. Especially when you're in a lot of pain and ready to pass out, be either because of the pain or because of low nutrition or because of whatever. It's a nice thing. Even a really, really, really nasty flu might all can be nice. And then I would definitely have tampons and pads and things like that in your house for sure. I do. Yeah, definitely a good one. Never know when you can save the day with that one. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like, I used to actually work in a, I used to work in factory that made voice pads uh, as a mechanical engineer. And it is the same exact stuff that goes into making diapers. Uh, and it is some of the most absorbent. I mean, I mean, 
honestly, a poise pad, that would be an amazing gauze bandage. I would just slap that sucker right on there. It is it is a class whatever medical product. It, it adheres really well. There's um, waterproof layers within it. There's some of the most absorbent stuff that you could ever imagine right there. And there's a layer of stuff that pulls really well and then doesn't let it come back out. And so it, like a feminine pad. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, that's a good one to mention. Just not a tampon. Yes, we 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 discussed why tampons are not great when bleeding out last week. <laughs> really? <laughs> was yeah. The, was the bullet wound question posed? Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but nosebleeds, you never know. Nope. Yes, okay. could definitely be See, helpful. We're proving there. that we were right because we're getting corroborating <laughs> take here. We're not just retards. <laughs> Um, uh, something I want to drop in here at this point, uh, the most recent episode of living free in Tennessee, as of recording, it's episode number five, four, a Hill, who is a very sweet and nice person that I met at Jack's fall workshop this fall, uh, joined Nicole to talk about what's in her medical kit because she's got, uh, children with autoimmune issues and also they're kind of in the middle of nowhere. So she knew she needed to have you know, pretty, pretty sizable medical kit. They discuss like kind of tactics and some of the stuff that we're discussing now of like how to decide what you need. Cause it's going to vary person to person. And I think it's just helpful to, to discuss different use cases to kind of spark the mind to figure out other ones. But she, she also ran through very, very quickly all the things that she keeps on hand at all times. Um, so you probably have to listen to it a few times to take notes, but it was, it was a lot of good stuff. That's awesome. That's absolutely true. The the various different uh I mean each yeah, like you said, each person's gonna have a totally different set of needs. And so I mean that was like a really basic I would definitely if you were just like a family, I would have all those things and then an actual emergency kit with medical things ready to go. Like and then we'll get into it a little bit later, what's good to have as a medical kit on the go. And all of the things that are in that definitely should also be in your house, except for quantity multiplied by like 10, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Because space is not at a premium at home the way it is on the go in any way. Absolutely. Yeah. Makes a lot yeah. of sense. Um, where do you want to go from here? Do you want to jump into sort of on the go kits while we're on the topic? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, when I was thinking about that, I know that, so I have several different kits. Um, I have one that is about the size, it, it takes up, it's a print of a wallet, but then maybe if it was like three or four wallets thick. And that one I keep on my back in a little backpack when I'm snowboarding, I keep it on my back when I'm doing pretty much anything that requires a lot of activity and I can't have like a full on pack on my back um it's amazing even if you just had like a satchel uh even i mean in the past when i have worn a satchel i've kept that little tiny bed in there it's it's coming handy like crazy um or even like a fanny pack it goes in a fanny pack and in that one i have a bunch of gauze antiseptic wipes tape antibiotic cream an ace bandage 
Well, the ace bandage goes outside of it. It's a little big. It's almost the same size as the pack. <laughs> uh, ibuprofen um, and Tylenol, which is acetaminophen, definitely have both of them in there. You never know who you're going to encounter and what they're allowed to take. And the cool thing about those two things is that you can only have so much. You're only supposed to have only so much of that within a certain amount of time. But if you alternate them back and forth, you're, you're allowed to do that so you can continuously be on some sort of pain management uh, without what would technically be considered overdosing on either one of them. So I have both for sure. Just take a little Ziploc bag and throw them both in there. They look, they're different looking pills, so you can distinguish. Um, burn cream, sting and bite cream, an emergency blanket, rubber gloves, bailing wire, a multi-tool, and I always have some water also. Um, the three interesting things that I think that most people do not have, or at least think to have in combination, that I have in there is the bailing wire, multi-tool, and tape. Uh, people probably have tape because they have gauze and you gotta have tape with gauze. But with tape, bailing wire, and a multi-tool, you can do pretty much anything you need to do. You can make a splint, you can make a stretcher, you can make all kinds of stuff with the things that you may have around you, like sticks or logs or two by fours or whatever. You can, you can do a lot of things with bailing wire, a multi-tool, and tape. Um, that that is something that I think is invaluable. But all that other stuff is really, really critical as well. I think the I mean with with gauze and tape and bailing wire, you could end up making a triangular bandage. And I think a triangular bandage would be the one thing I would want to add to this, but it just simply won't fit in mine. Um, but in any non-tiny packable kit, triangular bandage for sure. It is so versatile. And I imagine, and I think you said you talked about that a little bit last week. Uh, I don't uh, think triangular bandage came up. Oh man, specifically. Well, those, so there, you can use them for almost anything. It's pretty much just like a huge. You use them to make like a splint or a sling. Like if you broke your arm and you you see people walking around like with a, their arm in a sling, you can make a sling mm -hmm. out of a triangular bandage. Okay. You can make all kinds of stuff out of them. Like in an emergency situation, even in a non-emergency situation, a lot of times slings are made out of triangular bandages. It just comes in a little tiny pack, kind of the same size as like a emergency blanket, those foily ones. Gotcha. Really yeah, I'm looking it up right now. There, yeah, that is a versatile thing. It's handy for any sort of like musculoskeletal problem. Uh, yeah, but that that's like the bare minimum kit that I would suggest going on. Like I said, when I'm snowboarding, that's that's what I have. When I'm on a bike, that's what I have. When I'm hiking, that's what I have. Uh, and it's it's come in a lot of really handy times. The and like I said with the band aids, oh and super glue, super glue is also in there. Sorry about that. Definitely super glue. It's really easy to store. It doesn't take up any space. Um, and with the super glue band aids, you can get around having to deal with stitches, and you wouldn't have to try to fit a stapler in your pack. One other thing about the stitches that I would like to mention: if you do end up in a situation where you want to give yourself stitches, make sure that whatever thread you're using is kind of made for that or is like fishing line or something. Because if you just use regular thread off of a little spool, you are going to get badly infected and it is going to fuse with your healed skin and getting it out is going to be nearly impossible without tearing yourself up and you're going to be in a way worse situation. 
Good shout. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> Is there um, a gauge of fishing line you would recommend? <laughs> I don't know. Like I don't really know. small? <laughs> yeah, or 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 not. I mean, I wouldn't want it to break either. But I don't, I don't know. I've never had to stitch myself. I usually do the super glue thing. And honestly, I would rather do the staple thing than the stitches thing. Gotcha. Seems like it'd be faster. You yeah, just, just kind of get all the pain out of the way pretty quickly, too. Yeah, just bam, 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 bam. You're you're stitched rather than this whole process where you got to bite down on a leather watch and take a shot of whiskey every couple seconds to deal with it. <laughs> um, I guess the next size up, uh, I'm I'm going to go into start thinking about what I have in my car because really the only difference between what I would have in a major backpack versus my little mini one would be a triangular bandage. Maybe an extra ace bandage, maybe a little more gauze. The only difference would mostly just be due to the longevity of the time that I'm going to be out and away from aid. And so it would just be more of most of that stuff. And so I guess the next size up that is different in a way other than quantity of stuff would be the the stuff that you keep in your car or in your your vehicle. And, and that's the only re- I mean, it's a different space constraint. And so and the amount of time that you're going to be in there. I mean, your, your car is sort of your safe haven. And so. Once you get back to it, now somebody's driving, somebody's taking care of the person who's really hurt. Or, you know, just kind of hurt. And then there's the hurt person. But that hurt person is going to be in there for a while. So then maybe, you know, depending on how long you drive, it's, these are just all from my specific experiences. So this is the way I tend to think about it. Uh, Definitely the chemical ice packs, big jugs of water. I mean, you want to have a little bit of water in your mini situation, but in this medium situation, you want a lot more water, Uh, triangular bandage. And then the one thing that I think is the most valuable thing to have in the safe haven that is your car is an emergency response manual. I would definitely I mean, like I'm talking about like an emergency responder manual, the manual that EMTs use. I would get one and I would read it. And then I would keep it in your car. I wouldn't just get one and keep it in your car. I would get one and then I'd read it and then I'd keep it in your car. For sure. Is there a particular title that you would suggest? I'm looking at them currently and there's a whole variety of different types of things. Well, the only exposure that I have is the one that my dad gave me and it's called first responder um it's put out by the american safety and health institution i'm looking at it right now it is a pretty dang good one i think i think but i'm not a emt and i'm definitely not a teacher of emt stuff and so i haven't compared them all or anything but uh, but first responder it's called first responder it's by it looks like the author is bergeron and Le Boudour. Le Boudour? I don't know. Medical editor is Keith Wesley, MD, but it's called First Responder. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And I was I was perusing it a little bit today, um, just kind of refreshing myself. It was something that he gave me a long time ago, and I I went through it. Um, and him being in the position that he's in, he's read it a million times and left a lot of good notes in there. But, uh, but I would definitely just, yeah, I'd get one. I'd read it just so that you know 
what could be the case. You know what I mean? If someone slips into their head, there are a few things that go into your brain or pop into your brain when that happens to be aware of. Mm-hmm. After you read this book, there are a lot more things that pop into your head and they pop into your head in, in you know, relative to what you might try to do to help. Uh, and they pop in your head relative to what you might really not want to do to help. So that's that's the biggest reason to read this book, I think, is just so that you know what all of the possibilities are for what you might be dealing with and how your attempt to help might be way more damaging than helpful. Or just completely useless because you're not doing the right thing. And so it's a good thing to, even if you don't memorize it, I would just read it or at least skim it and then throw it in your car as your helpful guide for when you finally get you and your party back to your vehicle. Wonderful. Excellent. Thank you. Um, I found this book on Amazon. I will add a link to the show notes. It's $130 new, but there are several used options under $15. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'm, I'm ordering two. Nice. Very good. Yeah, I definitely do. Definitely do. They're awesome. Very awesome. And I've found that you can just, I think we were talking about this the other day. I found that you can just find books on eBay and buy them for like two to four dollars when on Amazon it was $80 and it blows me away. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, eBay has a lot smaller buyer base and seller base. Um, So the markets for most products. I being a seller on both platforms, the the primary is always be able to sell on Amazon, and regardless of what it is, it will sell for less on eBay. So it's good for buyers. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, sorry, Mister Seller. <laughs> <laughs> I I I like that. That's cool. But yeah, and jugs of water. I always have. Uh, I have. My my Jeep's kind of set up for overlanding. It's a, there's a full size bed set up in there that kind of folds out, um, as well as all the tools I could ever need to handle any mechanical issue on the vehicle or need for cooking or whatever. But there's also like a giant jug of six gallons of water in there, and it is definitely not all for drinking. There's a huge use for that in burn situations chemical issue situations, people going into shock situations, all kinds of stuff. Having that mm-hmm. water is really nice. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, but that's pretty much it. I mean, apart from, so I would take, for what you're going to have in your house, I would take all those items and just ramp it up, have a lot more of them, and then a little bit more medicine probably. Yeah, definitely. Sweet. Um, where do you want to go from here? From here, I the okay, what I kind of consider to be the most important part of all of dealing with injuries and accidents and ailments is in the prevention of injuries and accidents and ailments. I think that definitely. we can Yeah, ab- I mean we invest in our wellness now to avoid paying for our illness in the future. And that is like 
that that is the key thing in my mind i mean so yeah if, if we just get i would like to get started on that i think that's the hell yeah okay yeah so in in my mind a plan is one of the most helpful things uh you, you plan the work and you work the plan uh that is the thing that is going to help you in, in in so many different ways and one of the biggest ones honestly is just keeping you keeping you cool throughout the situation and and like keeping you mentally cool throughout the situation making sure that you don't kind of lose your head in a situation and sometimes things go awry and go outside of the plan but the more thorough you are in the planning process the more likely it is that you have thought that the plan might go awry in that direction and the more prepared you are, the more prepared you are for the plan going awry. But what another thing that a plan does, other than just keep you kind of mentally checked in and prepared and not totally surprised by something that might happen, uh, is it keeps you from getting into situations like rushing, you know, or getting frustrated or being fatigued or or getting complacent about things i mean so 99 percent of injuries that's not a real statistic happen when <laughs> people are rushing frustrated fatigued or complacent truly i mean that's like th those are the times and so if you can keep your head on straight if you can have a plan and know what you're doing and not be complacent about it and and work it you know at a at an adequate time frame then and and because it's a plan you're, you're not going through an unexpected situation not as nearly as much and so you're not quite as frustrated and because your plan involves you getting all kinds of sleep and not overworking yourself you're not fatigued <laughs> your your situations of being ru rushing frustrated fatigued or complacent are seriously reduced uh i mean when you're any of those four things the the there are some critical errors that can manifest because you're either rushing frustrated fatigued or complacent and those are when you are doing something and your eyes are not on it your eyes are not on the task or if you're doing something and your mind is not on the task or if you get yourself in a situation where you're in the line of fire or in a situation where your balance traction or grip goes factory and that's where a lot of this comes from is their attempts to make it so that we don't get hurt nearly as often and that's what we learned from it was rushing frustration fatigue and complacency are the things that cause you to either have your eyes not on the task mind not on the task put yourself in the line of fire or lose your balance traction or grip and that is how people generally get hurt and if you can avoid those situations you will avoid a lot of injuries and you will avoid the need to bust out your med kit and that that's that's a big one that's a big deal i remember one time i was with my dad and i was we were working on a car i was underneath the vehicle and i was pulling on a wrench i was trying to break a bolt loose i was pulling really 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 hard and then it finally gave loose and i punched myself right in the face <laughs> <laughs> and he just he kind of laughed you know he was a little concerned but he, he definitely laughed and then he said, line of fire, always keep an eye on the line of fire. Never put yourself in the line of fire. When there's 
potential energy, look at the direction that that potential energy is going to be released in and get out of that way. That's something to always keep your mind on. If you're not rushing or fatigued or being complacent, there's a big chance that you're not going to lose your balance, traction, or grip. If, you're, if your mind is on your task and if your eyes are on your task, you're in a lot better situation. So the, that general mindset of doing whatever you're doing. And so if you're, if you're on your farm or you're on your homestead or if you're up in the mountains or whatever and you know that you're kind of far away, or maybe you just don't really feel like relying on hospitals to fix all your stuff. And you also don't have all the time in the world to deal with an injury. It's best to keep your mindset in such a way that you're kind of, you know, slow and steady. I mean, you can be fast, you can have haste, but you don't ever need to be in a rush. And investing in rest helps it so that you're not fatigued and you don't screw up. And if you can take the time and make a plan and take the time to breathe when you're executing your plan, it'll keep you from getting frustrated. And one thing I think we all learn as we get older is that we just don't know it all. And so complacency is just, as we mature, becoming a stupider and stupider thing for us to embody. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think injury prevention is a big one. Um, the other way to prevent injuries other than your mindset as you're doing things and making a plan is to facilitate some resiliency within your body and your mind. And so with that, you know, there's body prep, stay flexible, stretch, do yoga, even just like stretching in the mornings or stretching before you do a thing. I mean, I <laughs> I have an awesome jo or story from that. I I had just gotten off of work and then went to a place to I was closing on a house I was going to buy a house and I was closing on the house and so I was kind of I was rushing to get there and and there was kind of overwhelmed and had my mind on going through this whole closing on a house process and immediately after that I had to rush to this soccer game so I I had taken I think it was two or three seasons off of playing soccer because my knee was kind of bad uh, from playing soccer. But I, I took a few seasons off to let it heal so that I would still have a knee for snowboarding. And I had thought that I had gotten into a good point. And so I was like, all right. And it was my first game back, but I was in a rush and I was distracted and my mind was on this other place. And then I was kind of late. And so I was even more in a rush. And I finally got there and the game had almost started and it was time to get ready and go. And I had to put on my cleats and my sing guards and get everything and jump into the field. And I didn't stretch. And it was not 10 minutes into that game. I tore my ACL completely and completely ripped up my meniscus. And that was mostly because I didn't stretch. And the reason I didn't stretch is because I was in a rush and complacent and my mind was not on my task and all these things. But the stretching, if I would have taken the time and blah, 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 and done the stretching, I, that wouldn't have happened. And so now pretty much before I do anything, stretch. It is so critical to stretch. I have a buddy. We plan on stretching. But he didn't stretch right before he went snowboarding a few weekends ago. And it sounds like he just tore his MCL. <laughs> and great. that kind of. Yeah. I mean, when I remember when I was in 
middle school and we had to do the fitness tests or whatever in gym class. And some of them were flexibility tests. You know, how, how far can you reach to touch your toes, blah, 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 blah. And I asked the gym teacher, I was like, why is this important? This, to me, this isn't fitness. Fitness is how many push-ups can you do and how fast can you run? Well, that was my, you know, that was my mindset at that age. And she told me, your flexibility is a measure of your ability to resist injury. It's, it is your body's resilience. And that stuck with me, evidently not well enough, but it's coming back now. <laughs> and, and, and I now know for sure, stay flexible. So be flexible, stay flexible, and you'll, you'll be in a lot better position to you know, resist injury. Also stay active. You know what I mean? Just stay active. It's a it's a huge deal. If you stay active, I mean, as you expand and contract your muscles, they act as little pumps and it pretty much pumps all the stuff through. It pumps nutrients in, it pumps toxins out. It it keeps everything. I mean, if you're active, it helps you stay flexible. And if you're flexible, it helps you stay active and all those things improve your strength, circulation and resiliency. And that's that's a big way to facilitate your ability to resist injury in the future when you do get into unexpected situations because sometimes we mistakes we make mistakes and get a little complacent the other thing is to stay supplied uh you know keep your body supplied with nutrients hydration and sleep it's it's a huge deal those things really help i mean you're you're even no matter how flexible you are if you're severely dehydrated you might tear a muscle and so stay hydrated you know drink drink the right amount of water <laughs> uh, and drink a little bit less of, of the not water if you can help it but nutrition is a big one it makes it so that your body does does what it's supposed to do i mean a huge part of what we'll get into later which is the injury management at home is allowing your body to do what it's supposed to do and getting the heck out of the way of it and nutrition does both of those things mm -hmm. i mean when I was I was kind of digging through my medicine cabinet, trying to think of stuff to say that you guys should keep in your medicine cabinet. And one thing that I realized is that, just like I said before, invest in your wellness now to prevent paying for your illness in the future. Most of my medicine cabinet is in my cupboard and in my fridge. I mean, eat healthy, eat all the right fruits and vegetables. That's where your medicine is going to come from, truly. You know what I mean? If you get all the different grains and herbs and fruits and vegetables and the right kinds of meats and oils into your body, you won't need most of that medicine. I mean, those are for when your body is severely out of balance. But if you have most of that stuff in your system, your body is set up in a way that it will deliver that to the areas that need it. If you are active and flexible and maintain your circulation so that that stuff can get where it needs to go. But also if you have it in there for meeting it yeah yeah sleep makes a lot of sense one. yeah sleep is another huge one uh i mean obviously it prevents you from getting fatigued and hurting yourself but it also is the biggest and most crucial hours of your day your body spends recovering from things and preparing for the next day um with emphasis on the recovery part that's that's huge and then one interesting thing that I think a lot of people kind of know, but have never considered in this way is stay away from the three white powders of inflammation. I mean, people think of inflammation as like 
kind of like infection or like but it's it's kind of everywhere when you look at the way the body is set up if you look at the fascial layer underneath the skin and above the muscle that kind of when you get when you get that kind of clumped up in your body that is a type of inflammation and that's kind of what keeps you from being able to be flexible it affects your emotional and mental health it affects all kinds of different things but the three white powders of inflammation are salt sugar and flour if you can reduce your intake of salt sugar and flour you're going to be in a lot better way and you're going to be able to resist a lot of ailment illnesses the things i was talking about before are mostly about resisting and being resilient to injury but when it comes to diet and reducing inflammation by reducing those three white powders in your diet that's preventing further illness in the future that's a that's an illness thing for sure um absolutely yeah yeah weird illnesses that they're like long-term illnesses like uh hyper or hypothyroidism type things the things that hit you when you're not a young buck anymore Mm. even like Hashimoto's that's something that Michaela's dealing with um like well on the border of dealing with currently she just has chronic inflammation issues uh are your uh doctor and her and obviously with my help in whatever way I can are trying to deal with uh to avoid actually getting all the way there wow yeah yeah then yeah I mean salt sugar flour I mean that it sounds like she has a situation that's different than one that could be just solved by reducing salt sugar and flour but it's help that's good i'm glad to hear that man oh yeah i hope that continues to go in a good direction yep me too um dr barry uh dr ken barry has done a lot of work covering these things um i met him also at jack's workshop in the fall shout out um and asked him excuse me uh directly about uh hashimoto's because his wife has overcome it with a excuse me can't get my throat clear with a near carnivore diet she's in in full remission that's awesome that's really awesome yeah i wonder i mean what i've personally found to be the most helpful diet in preventing long-term illness and other things like that has been like a mostly fruits greens and meat um and just reducing a lot of that other stuff i mean other i mean you do need carbs but carbs can come from a banana carbs come from an apple you do not need carbs um but you do until you get your body trained to not (laughs) oh nice all right yeah it's the whole keto thing that's actually where that name comes from is the ketosis where your liver actually is producing energy with ketones which are produced by protein not carbs so, but it's like, it's like an addiction thing. Like you have to get yourself off the carbs first and that's the hard part. Yeah. It's like an actual physical addiction because your body only knows to burn the carbohydrates and doesn't, well, it's, it's, it's a, basically not trained to use fat as its energy source. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a shortcut is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a quicker path. Yeah. Wow. That makes, that makes complete sense. That makes complete sense. I've always just kind of assumed that. I, so I, I thought you needed carbs and I've always just assumed that I was getting mine from like a banana and apples and that was sustaining me because that's pretty much the only place that any sort of starchy anything 
that's the only place it gets into my system is from bananas and apples. And so I imagine that that was enough to sustain you carbs wise, but maybe you just don't need them like you guys are saying. And I've semi broken addiction. Hell yeah. That's fuck addiction. Cool. Yeah. Fuck addiction. Yeah. There's a, I'm trying to find the guy's name. Hold on just a second. Um, Dr. Is it Paul Saladino? Did I say yes. That right? yep. Yeah. You might look him up. Um, there's a whole thing on uh, seed oils right now that I think is interesting. Um, apparently, and it's kind of the same thing where it's like your body is using a, a type of fat, which is vegetable fat versus animal fat. And um, with seed oils, those, what do they call them? Um, it's, it's the type of acid and it starts with an L and I can't think of the word right now. Do you know it, Jared? Lactic? Lactic acid? No. Um, Lysergic. No. It's, it's my like, best guess. Oh, oh my God. It's going to kill me because I should know this off the top of my head. Um, anyway, whatever acid that uh, seed oils and plant fat basically is made up of, vegetable fat is made up of... Um, it does something to your mitochondrial health where the mitochondria has a pathway that actually is where, because the mitochondria uses ATP to create ah, um, electrons it. with, with, uh, through the chemical process. And then it has this pathway going in and out of the mitochondria that actually allows that electrical energy to go in and out kind of like wires, except it's like the biological version of wires. Um, and the fats that are made, do you know the name of it? Linoleic acid. Linoleic. That's why I couldn't remember. I was putting the C in the wrong part in my head and then I couldn't figure it out. Thanks, um, NIH. Yeah. So linoleic acid, um, replaces because your body just has to use it. If that's all you've got, it, it replaces the normal fat that makes up that, um, pathway. And that the linoleic acid is more prone to oxidation and that oxidation creates um, it, it's basically just cell damage within the mitochondria. And um, when the mitochondria starts breaking down, that's actually um, what they've figured out. It has to do with a lot of like uh, chronic fatigue syndrome. And I'm wondering if it would help with your wife's Hashimoto's potentially because um you know, if you get that mitochondrial health back on, like people are talking about having lost like dozens, if not a hundred pounds, just getting rid of seed oils. Yeah. Um, and then you could go keto on top of that or carnivore if you want to go really crazy. Yeah, um, My wife was already like not a fat person by any means. Not that I would call my wife not. fat, even if she was. Um, so it's, I don't know how much my opinion holds weight here. But, she's not. I know it. <laughs> yes. All right. I've got. Yeah, I've got her. She's nowhere near. Person. Two helpful people here. Um. <laughs> she. I mean, she was. She was nowhere near overweight. But having just gone paleo, which is not any sort of macro balance, it's just removing dairy, soy, wheat, corn, and seed oils, and most sugar. She's lost like twenty pounds in the last wow. six. In the last six months. See if it were me, I'd keep dairy, but I have a cheese problem. So, yeah, she does too. <laughs> well, like probably in the opposite direction. Oh, 
Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm that just was... addicted. And I love butter. Well, I'm here in Wisconsin. I'm I'm calling in from Wisconsin, and so there's... <laughs> Yeah, there's a. I would say I'm in the state of cheese problem. In yeah, that way, in for that sure, way. that for makes sense. But, but that is one thing. That's another like along with the salt, sugar, flour. Dairy is another huge one. The, the thing you're talking about, seed oil. So that's really interesting to me. There's so much. I wonder then, because the, the oils, the the positive parts of the seed oils. I guess specific what like the heart health oils, thing. Yeah, all the heart well, and brain health. The the but heart I health thing that I can tell you. So too. this is yeah. So this this is what I actually learned from watching this doctor talk. Is it turns out that the heart health thing is like, well, look, we've got these studies and we show that um, people who have a lot of seed oils don't have um, what's it called apoptosis, which is okay. a natural. It's actually the controlled cell death that happens in in any tissue. Um, and they say, look, you've got less apoptosis. Well, here's the problem. You have higher necrosis, which is uncontrolled okay. cell death and like actual like, you know, rot inside of your body. Um, so I don't want to get too far into this because really I've, I haven't researched it too much. But from what I did research, like this is what I, I can tell you. And I would say just like go look up this doctor and he's got a YouTube channel and stuff. Um, sure. Paul Saladino does. Um yeah, but we'll just like, do it a makes whole a lot of fuck seed oils episode at some point. Yeah, but here, here's the thing with um, actually how seed oils even started. So I can tell you this story. What happened is you had, and I can't remember the name of the brand, but it's the people who end up making Crisco. What they had was big cotton mill. Oh, no. And they had all these leftover seeds because they'd process the cotton and they, they had to find a way to make money with it because otherwise it was just waste. And so they turned it into oil and then refined it. And, you know, cottonseed oil is actually uh, toxic to humans. It's it's like it actually has a, a toxin in it, literally. It's not just bad for humans. It's actually toxic. And um, what they did was they figured out how to, I think it's the hydrogenation process that removes it. But basically, they just overprocess the crap out of it and literally bleach it to turn it into vegetable oil. And that's what Crisco is. Um, and all of these, uh, vegetable oils are basically the same, same way where they just like, they literally bleach it to death until it's like a, a pretty liquid and it's like kind of consumable by humans, but the long-term effects are really, really bad. That makes perfect sense to me. I mean, at least from those, yeah. but the thing is that I'm talking or at least the part that I'm still hung up on is the, like the omega-3 fatty acids part that comes from fish it's, and all that. So that's fish and the eggs that is the omega-3, right? Yeah, Fish and nuts. Yeah. yeah, and omega-6 is from the seed oils, and that is not beneficial. I got you. It's just okay. been a convenient thing where they've been lumped together as <laughs> like a, 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 a convenient little mind trick. And uh, I was okay. hearing from a friend of mine before I even got into this too deep, because a friend of mine was kind of looking at it, and he said that what he learned from it was that I think omega-6 is actually deleterious to omega-3. Wow. So if you have too much omega six and you get them out of balance, um, it, yeah, it, it removes your omega threes. That's hilarious. Well, yeah, you know, like a sick comedy. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, okay. 
Well, so all right. here's my my half baked. <laughs> I just I just started learning about this a week ago. Rant. So you know nobody sue me, but I'm not a doctor, and we've already said that. So, but official okay. fuck seed oils. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I can get on board with that. Yeah, well, and I can tell you, like a lot of my personal health, like I I just started cooking with Whole Foods at home and actually cooking my meals instead of buying them, and like I feel great. Like I actually get kind of sick after eating fast food now, and yeah. The only oil I cook with is avocado oil, um, and other than that, it's butter and uh, you know bacon fat. Hell so yeah. I'm basically there. It's just like obviously, you know, I, I don't need a whole lot of pasta anyway, so that's not a huge problem. Like everything that's like super processed and bad, I don't eat a lot of all at once. Usually, like I'll I'll make a meal of it and have a couple days worth of leftovers. And then it's a couple of weeks before I do anything like that again. So, like, I, I would just looking at that, I can attribute my own personal health to just a lack of not eating processed junk. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I noticed that. Like, my I've always kind of been like a, uh, I guess an efficiency minded slash cheapskate person when it comes to food <laughs> oh, yeah. and so but for that what that means for me is i wake up in the morning every single day i eat two eggs in or fried in organic olive oil one banana about an hour later i eat an apple for lunch i make a sandwich out of mostly organic things non-smoked ham uh and then at night i almost every night like for a long time i ate one fish and a bunch of vegetables sometimes two fish but now i eat pork and a bunch of vegetables sometimes a little more pork but so it ends up being a really repetitive thing for me. And every once in a while, I'll mix it up some just to get some variety. But any time that shit sort of hits the fan for me and I stay up too late or I whatever, and my schedule gets thrown off and I order fast food, I I feel you there. It's exactly the same. I It hits me like a ton of bricks. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was the same thing today or yet last night and a little bit this morning. Like I ate. Uh, I just, I was on my way to an appointment, so I grabbed some McDonald's for lunch and it was a nothing crazy. I didn't eat a whole lot, just one regular burger and some fries. And I was dead last night. Like I, I felt legitimately <laughs> sick, like couch ridden sick. Yeah. It, you feel it. You do feel it. You feel it when you, you feel it when it's in you, you feel it when you're eating it and then you feel it a little bit later. Yes. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so, so I mean, and with that, exactly that. Uh, eat right. It's a huge difference in your life, a million different ways. And one of them being preventing illness and another one being preventing injury, truly. And then also in your ability to heal from illness and injury. Big deal. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Another thing like, and that's, I mean, your, your diet also seriously contributes to the way that your mind deals with things. I mean, we were talking about the omega-3s. A big reason that I kind of go hard on the omega-3s for my olive oil and eggs and a ton of almonds that I eat is mostly because of the amount of concussions I've sustained. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so, so I'm kind of trying to get ahead of that one. But I mean, what you eat also affects your mind. I mean, a lot of people, I don't know if anybody's ever looked into the blood type diet. It's never been scientifically proven, but 
for a long time, no one had ever proven that the world was round. So the whole never been scientifically proven thing, I kind of, I kind of say, fuck you when people say it's never been scientifically proven. And I just say, if it works for you, do it, whether it's placebo or not. And so the, the blood type diet thing, I can't say like for sure that it works. I can for sure say that it doesn't work for everyone because I've asked people, but there are aspects of it that have worked for me and in other people that I know. And, And one thing that I found kind of in common is that potatoes, when you eat potatoes, I've noticed that a lot of people who eat potatoes, myself included, kind of get a little bit of a brain fog going on. And uh, and that's not something we need to do, like go hard discussing, but your diet can affect your brain. Uh, Which is kind of the segue I'm trying to get at for mind prep, you know, like, like preparing your brain for being resilient to injury at home and for being able to quickly heal from injury at home. And so diet, obviously. Yeah, diet. But then meditation is a huge one. I mean, meditation is a huge, huge, huge one. And that's kind of where I'm kind of trying to steer the conversation now. If you guys are feeling like talking about meditation and body, mind, spirit, emotion. For sure. If I could throw one more little quick one in there. Um, I don't remember exactly what he said, but I know at uh, Dr. Barry's presentation at jack's fall workshop he discussed differences with blood type in the way that they deal with certain foods i don't remember what like the specifics of it were but i remember it coming up um so we'll i've we've posted that one in the show notes several times before but i'll find the link and get it thrown in there again yeah it's worth looking into it's an interesting it's it's more of a theory than like a theorem but uh in being that it's not proven, but it's that yeah, each blood type has different. Oh, I forgot what it was. It has it has to do with yeah, it has to do with the way that the different molecules or whatever absorb different types of food. It, it comes back to the theory is like certain people have blood types that are similar to the blood of the people who were hunter gatherers, and then as humanity evolved or changed, or different groups of people or whatever, some of them were not hunter gatherers and they were now farmers, and then other ones were different industries and so blood kind of evolved uh like me being o negative apparently i have the blood type of the hunter gatherer and so i'm pretty much supposed to eat like a ton of red meat and greens and almost no flour or wheat type things and there are certain vegetables that kind of get my stomach feeling funky blah 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 but i have noticed that i'm all of a sudden a lot leaner which I guess you could kind of attribute to me purely eating meat and greens. But I also noticed that my digestion is a lot smoother when I do it like that. Excellent. But it, Yeah. It just goes back to the like theory about what your blood types ancestors did for food. Yeah. And, and it, it makes true. a lot of sense. I mean, especially if you come from a line that was, somewhat isolated and homogenous for a long time they're going to have very particular ways that their body has adapted to the specific environment that they're in yeah and one thing that's interesting is that blood type isn't and i oh and so i don't maybe i shouldn't even say this because i don't remember if it's true but i'll just throw it out there and be like here's a thing that if anyone wants to research they can blood type is sort of a spectrum is that true does anyone know I've never heard that. I've never heard that it's not. Yeah. 
Because I've like, never heard it either way. Like that, you're. I'm mostly O negative. I'm, I'm closest to the O negative point checkpoint on the spectrum. I don't know. I don't know. But that that would make more sense to me, just because like nothing in life is ever like one thing or another. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But I wouldn't. I'm not going to bet my paycheck on that one. But just you know, there's a thought about why the if the blood type diet thing is true, why it doesn't wholly work all the time. Because maybe it's a little bit of a spectrum. Makes sense. Yeah, just just a thought here. Yeah. But yeah, okay. My my preparing your mind. I mean, meditation is something that I think everyone should do in some form or another. There are many types of meditation. Um and many things that I think well, there are many types of meditation and there's a lot of different meditations that perform different functions meditations with different goals in mind and so when you say the word meditation it means a lot of things and for sure yeah it can be perceived in a million different ways and so when i say a lot of things are meditation like for me snowboarding would be considered a meditation but that is only considering one aspect of meditation and considering meditation as performing a specific function yes it's it's like kind of the flow state as meditation yeah, that would be how snowboarding would be meditation for me. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of like a forced flow state. Yeah. Uh, but the cool thing about sitting type, you know, not doing meditation, but sitting and being meditation. I mean, there's a lot of different forms of that as well. I mean, there's transcendental meditation. There's mindfulness meditation, which have, you know, they have different functions. One is trying to have a spiritual transcendent experience and one of them is trying to improve improve your level of self-awareness and when i say self i mean all that is you which is pretty much everything that you're able to perceive your your, your whole reality awareness uh but that whole deal puts you in a place i mean there's all kinds of research out there and that's worth if anybody feels like finding all of it and putting it in a link at some point <laughs> at some point you could but Meditation is something, at least I've found, um, to put me in a state where I can, where I can focus. I mean, it puts me in a state. I mean, I, you can notice it in your body. You feel it in your body. Even, uh, I guess maybe I could kind of tie it back to my um, addictions education education that I'm in because, like, my, my my master's that I'm taking right now is mental health counseling, but it's it's really um, a master's degree in addictions in relation to integrated recovery for co-occurring mental health disorders. And one thing that people who are experiencing addiction with uh, quite frequently are significant somatic symptoms, either while intoxicated or while in withdrawal, meaning like physical, bodily, sensational symptoms when I say somatic. And one thing that meditation has proven to do is put you in a place to seriously reduce those things. I mean, meditation and breathing exercises, that's like one of the most basic emotional regulation tools that you can employ and also some of the most effective. Um, And even when you get down into like meditation for developing and furthering your own awareness, developing and furthering your own awareness enables you 
to be better at sort of interpreting your reality from a zoomed out perspective, uh, a perspective that integrates all that is your reality. It sort of integrates your cognitive uh, aspect and your emotional aspect, the two parts of you, your conscious and your subconscious. When you can zoom out and look at things in a like a rational way, I guess you could say, but also integrating your emotions, when you can get those things integrated, that's when you are, that's when you're whole. You know what I mean? When you think about somebody who's kind of like a robot, totally logical, there's a denial of emotions going on. When you look at someone who's totally emotional and all over the place, there's like a huge denial of rationality going on. And there's a split that happens and that causes serious mental emotional problems, which in turn causes serious physical problems. Like when you think about someone who's got hypertension, now this isn't always the case, but someone who's hypertension, who's got hypertension, really tense all the time, really like they kind of have a red face, they're kind of like easily set off, they're tense, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? They're kind of skinny, they're burning a lot, their metabolism's going, it's all one thing, mind-body connection. Hypotension, you notice people are maybe a little overweight. They're the type of person who just sits there all the time. There's some lethargy going on. They're maybe a little more depressed in their affect. So there's, I mean, it's all kind of one system. And that's not, I'm painting with a broad brush there. So anyone who's like a hypertensive, I don't want to insult them by saying it's all in head. Because <laughs> it's, you know, it definitely isn't. But it's everywhere. You know what I mean? It's It, it, it does. It takes up your whole body. You can't have a it's purely unidimensional ailment it's all it's all one you know what i mean even when you look at things like cognitive behavioral therapy that means i'm having these thoughts and these emotions and i don't like it so what we're going to do is change your behavior intentionally even though it hurts and it sucks because when you change your behavior your cognitions and your emotions will follow if you could just change your cognitions and your emotions, your behavior would follow. But it's the whole car. You know what I mean? The, like, like if you're sometimes your steering wheel is the behavior, and the wheels are your cognitions, and sometimes your cognitions are the steering wheel, and your behavior are the wheels. But the whole car is going in one direction all the time. I mean, it's they're all going together. And so, if you can get your mind right. It really helps to get your body right. And in any sort of injury situation, you don't want the diagnosis to become the prognosis. There is so much that you can do within yourself to affect things. I mean, if you, we can look at the extreme examples of people who have irreparable totally gone spinal injuries that will never walk again and there is no surgery to be done it would just be like trying to put together whatever i don't know that's gonna that, you know, that metaphor is gonna get out of hand a puzzle dang it <laughs> but it, those i mean there's there's those situations where people have these ridiculous injuries like that that are the 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 they're forecasted by medical professionals to never be the same again. And then they they enforce their will and make it happen. I mean, energy and 
nutrients, I guess you could call it, flow to wherever intentionality and consciousness go. I mean, so when you are, and this is more on the side of injury management at home rather than resiliency facilitation, but I guess they kind of go together. The whole placebo effect thing, it's easy for people in our society to dismiss as placebo effect. Well, most of the time, and not most of the time, but super duper often, placebo is almost equal to, sometimes better, or close to equal to, a thing that is actually forcing a process to happen. Mm-hmm. And so that, like, you know, that's the placebo effect. That is, that is, if I were to try to tell someone what the placebo effect is, that's what it is, since I'm not saying anything new there. But the thing that I am trying to say is we shouldn't treat that as a theory that is a mechanism for dismissal. We should treat that as a theory that is at our disposal to aid us. You know what I mean? Like, use your brain and believe in your healing. Yeah, for sure. And it will it will help either a little bit or a ton of it. But there are, and and I think really the degree to which that is able to be helpful is dependent on your ability to direct intentionality and consciousness and to truly believe in your body's abilities. That's what I believe. And there's a lot of examples out there that show it, but there are also a lot of people out there, especially in our current society, that really don't have the ability to have the discipline or intentionality or consciousness or awareness to make that happen. And so that's where meditation comes in as sort of like a little workout for your brain so that when the time comes, you do have that ability, you know, in the development of awareness. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I kind of like whipped through a lot of stuff in a random <laughs> disorganized manner. If anybody has anything to say about that or like a tangent we want to shoot off on, that's totally cool. Uh, I just wanted to add quickly that prayer would also be a form of meditation that people probably think of like mutually exclusively normally. Like folks, a lot of folks who consider themselves praying people wouldn't consider themselves meditating people and vice versa, but they, they're, you know, can can very much be the same thing in practice. Yeah, I I totally I totally support that, and I don't want to get too controversial. But for those who believe that God is everywhere and God is within you, and God is who you talk to when you pray, when you connect to your, when a meditating type person connects to the truest version their their truest self their capital s self on the inside during meditation i have a hard time not seeing those as the same action mm-hmm. yeah the same get where you're coming from. 
Yeah. I mean, I absolutely. If you are a praying person, pray and have all the faith. That's that's exactly what I mean when I say believe in your body's ability, believe in your ability, believe in believe in the ability, believe in what you're praying to. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you boil it all down, it's like uh, what you're really talking about is the power of sincerity. Yeah, I think that's a lot of it. Yeah, if you wanted to make one word for it. Yeah, like to to be sincere, your your conscious and subconscious have to be in alignment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. Integrate yourself. Yeah, yeah. be able to do that. Be able to zoom out and not just see it through your mind's eye or your emotions eye. Zoom out and see it through God's eye, if that's what you want to call it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And that's I and that's something okay, yeah, if we I think then in injury management post stabilization of traumatic experience at home <laughs> as a topic. That that whole thing that we just went over, I think is the biggest deal. I mean, when I when I tore my ACL and my meniscus, when I tore him, it wasn't that big a deal. When I tore him, I was still walking around and doing things. I moved houses. I was carrying ladders up the stairs, painting things. I mean, I, I was still doing. But surgery is what kicked my ass. And after the surgery, I was down for a while. And even when I wasn't down after a while, I cannot say that I was up. And that, that took a long time. And I think more than anything, it was the mental, emotional impact there that was the most significant it was that was something else i mean i remember when our buddy when our, when our buddy recently tore his mcl snowboarding i was like and, he, and i found out i was like holy moly man well keep your chin up throughout the whole thing if you ever need to talk ever call me don't start drinking too much don't somehow dive into a life of drugs don't dive into a depression and 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 I'll say it again, call me anytime you want. Like because it is so easy, like I said before, it's 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 a whole body thing. You can't break your body and not feel it in your mind, and you can't break your mind and not feel it in your body. And so it it it, it wipes you out. In a, in a way that I never would have anticipated. And I've found that that is the case with a lot of people. I mean, from, from my studies, that is one of the first things that you start trying to ask about when you find someone who's clinically depressed or has an anxiety thing going on or some sort of trauma-related whatever. Is, have you recently seen any sort of injury? Because a lot of people go into a like clinically diagnosable major depressive state after an injury, whether it is a blow to the head or not. I mean, it's wow. it's a big deal. Yeah, that stuff. I mean, it kind of forces you in a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of things to it. You know what I mean? Part of it is that you're just sitting there all the time thinking about your existence and having to deal with life's four major existential crises <laughs> of, of death, aloneness, 
and I forgot what the other two are, but you're like you're in this you're in this crazy state and just staring into the abyss, you know. Uh, freedom was one of them, and something else. Yeah, and 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 so like seriously, when you're at home dealing with an injury, keep your chin up. Don't focus on the problem. Focus on the healing. Uh, make sure you have all the support you need. Like I said before, energy and nutrients flow where intentionality and consciousness go. I mean, be. Don't focus on the problem. Focus on healing. If you have physical therapy that you're doing, if you have any sort of like, if you're changing your ice packs, you know, you're you're like rubbing an area, you're doing whatever you're doing to facilitate healing. Make sure you're intentional about being conscious and aware of that whole action and the healing that it is facilitating because that's going to be like if if you have a faith if you have a sincerity like you're saying about that it, it'll make it happen a lot faster but if you're like man i'm totally wiped out i'm totally done this isn't working it really hurts and you're focusing on all that stuff that's what you're going to precipitate and you will get in your body's way. You'll get in your mind's way from of allowing your body to not be in its way. It's it's a pretty crappy cycle if you get into that state. And so allow the placebo effect to take effect. You know, for sure. Focus on focus on your your spiritual health. Meditate. Breathe. Maybe you haven't had much of an opportunity in your life because you're so freaking busy being frustrated and complacent and rushing <laughs> and injuring yourself. And now you have this sweet opportunity to just sit forever and, and focus on your spiritual and mental health because you're really not allowed to do anything else. And so meditate and breathe and remember why you're going through this. You're going through this so that you can get up and start a new life. Like, honestly, when I hurt my knee, it changed me. It changed my life. It was it was one of the best things that could have ever happened to me. It taught me to kind of slow down and smell the roses. It taught me to enjoy life. There were a lot of points throughout that where I was kind of faced with major existential questions that needed addressing. It was it it is a major opportunity if you're dealing with an injury. You know what I mean? And a lot of times, and this is just something that I believe, but the universe gives you exactly what you need always. Mm -hmm. And so if you find yourself down and out, take that opportunity to learn whatever lesson you need to learn. Mine was that I moved too freaking fast and I need to slow down and, and enjoy my life. I moved well, so it, fast. Go ahead. Oh, it's it's just kind of like the the little proverb or whatever. It's like he who says he can and he who says he can't. They're both right. It's exactly. like what whatever yeah. whatever intention you're giving that. Yeah. Like this this is going to be the end of my life. Everything's downhill from here. Or I'm going to bounce back from this so fucking hard and grab life by the balls from here on out. Just that that change in mindset really just helps you see a different path and live entirely differently from that point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Yeah, they're yeah, <laughs> they're both right. I love that. I love. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, allow allow your body to do its job. You know, just rest and wait. You know, there's a lot of opportunities to like get up and do a thing anyway. That's really dumb. Don't do that. It's really dumb. Just let it be. Let it do its thing. Ask for help. That's. And maybe that is another thing that this is an opportunity for you to learn is to learn interdependence. That's one thing about our society that's 
so wild is that we're so afraid of being dependent as individuals and so focused on becoming independent we're we're so constantly grasping to become independent but the beauty lies which is something that our society doesn't necessarily teach us from the start it's something that we end up hopefully learning along the way i mean various societies have different things that they teach at the beginning but all societies if done right end up with the same altruistic enlightenment at the end but one of the things that we're supposed to pick up along the way rather than start with is that interdependence is really really nice it is the key thing i mean i mean even when you look into like stephen porges or dr stephen porges polyvagal theory about uh different mental states you know what i mean states of like emergency or states of stress states of calm states of all that stuff co-regulation is one of the most effective things co-regulation is something to be sought after that's our ability for us to regulate emotionally each other as we talk like if you're even if like say you're like really depressed or really anxious or really whatever and you're having a hard time and in your life and and it just doesn't feel like you have enough time and it doesn't feel like you have time to talk to anybody and your friendships are kind of like i haven't talked to them in a long time you haven't talked to your family in a while and you're just like trying to get all your crap done and it's like getting kind of overwhelming and you're getting kind of stuffy feeling in your chest and you're like i'd like to talk to him but when you think about calling him you don't call him because you don't have time and then eventually when you actually do get on the phone with him you're like wow that was really great for some reason i just feel like i just i went through a huge therapy session just then we didn't even talk about anything deep but i feel great there's so much relief that's that's the effect of co-regulation you know we've put ourselves into a, a mental state just by being with each other mm-hmm. and being you know being semi-real with each other that hashtag shoulderberg what'd you say Jared knows what i'm talking about yeah yeah big shouts to shoulderberg that's like a whole ass weekend of just that 400 of your best friends you never met yeah, oh. going camping in texas with uh, people from all over the country that's awesome yes that's awesome that is awesome. That's something that I think that yeah. people should do more often. I think that's something that COVID has sort of put us in a place to be without. And I, I think the world's going to be happy when we can do stuff like that more again. Or like when, yep. you know. But but yeah, that whole concept is just as helpful, if not more, when you are mentally or physically down because of some sort of injury big deal uh, if you're having a hard time doing all the stuff that we talked about before placebo get your mind right focus on the healing blah 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 hang out with someone it makes a big difference and also they can go get you your ice pack because you're not supposed to get up off the couch <laughs> do you have any suggestions for people that are resistant to that co-regulation uh i think I think that there are two avenues. Um, well, people who are resistant to co-regulation, people who don't want to talk to people or be with people at all, that, I, I mean, I was thinking of like functional 
solutions right off the bat. Well, not right off the bat, right off the second bat. I was thinking of functional ones to give you like easy outs, little buttons to press that make things better. Like, oh, maybe you could try an online, whatever. But really, it comes back to like, so that there, there, I feel like there are two avenues. And one of them is like I was saying with the theory behind cognitive behavioral therapy, where uh, you kind of just got to do it. And then you'll feel better about doing it. And really the way to handle that when it's like a severe aversion is baby steps. Um, yeah, baby steps with that. And then focusing each time, just like in motivational interviewing, focusing every time on the positive aspects of it. You get through it, you do it, and then you remind yourself, even maybe have a journal afterwards where you write about all your favorite things that happened and all the best positive stuff. You only write the positive stuff. And then you write a few things about what you're most excited about for next time. And in and, and little baby steps, you gradually increase until that's not the way you feel anymore. The other route would be to isolate the shit out of yourself until you just can't stand it. And then you whip into the other direction or until you become so super duper comfortable with yourself, you reach some level of enlightenment within yourself through introspection and whatever form of meditation or whatever you want to call it you don't even need to say meditation but through sitting there you become comfortable with yourself to a point where you also are comfortable with others i mean that's it's kind of what it takes those two things don't you know those two things kind of go together no matter how much people don't want to believe that they do if you're not comfortable with others you aren't comfortable with yourself and when you're around other people they are just kind of highlighting things that you aren't comfortable about in people and those things are in you and you hate them in you just as much as you hate them in other people no matter what degree they're or salience they are in their expression you know per individual person but if you can sit in silence on your own and become more and more aware and continue to highlight the different parts within you that are cloudy and scary that you don't really know like if a person if a person is a giant switchboard bunch of little knobs and as you become more and more self-aware you learn about more knobs you're like oh if i turn this knob i'm more confident if i turn this knob, turn it the other way i'm less confident or i'm I'm more talkative and less talkative if a, if a person is a giant switchboard with an infinite number of knobs all the different variables that a person can be more or less of as you become more aware you become more aware of the knobs now you're always aware of the space but until you're aware of the knobs it's just this scary area of the board that you don't know about if you don't know about it you know the knobs are there and you know they're set to something but you don't know what they're set to and so as you become more self-aware you can realize that those knobs are knobs and they are adjustable and you can either become comfortable with where they're at because you know that that's where you want to be or you can say holy crap that's not where i want to be and adjust that knob to somewhere where you are comfortable you want to be and as you continue to do that you become more and more comfortable with yourself and mm -hmm. so if you're really aversive to talking to other people and being in a activity of co-regulation you can look in in isolation 
for a long time until you're comfortable with all your knobs. And then as you become comfortable with all the knobs, you kind of realize that those are the knobs. Those aren't your knobs. Those are the knobs. Everybody's knobs. And so mm -hmm. then you're comfortable with everybody and being around people isn't going to be tough or insecure. And so it's either one, yeah, one or the other, but the same thing's going to happen in the process. Man. In my mind. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, hmm. well, Interesting. I feel like that's a good place to um, <laughs> wrap up. It's like up, a, a nice positive ending point. Like there's, yeah. there's a solution. Yeah. yeah. Very introspective ending. I like it. One thing I would like to say and recommend is James A. Duke, Dr. James A. Duke's The Green Pharmacy. It's a great book. It has all kinds of herbal remedies for most common diseases and conditions. I have it in my little library here. It's killer. I would suggest also the Herbal Medicine Maker's Handbook, um, which is probably similar uh, thesis, just looking for herbs to fix different stuff and how to make the preparation at home. But it's the, it's the one that I've got. Right on. Yeah, mine has, it sounds like probably less information. Maybe, I don't know about more or less herbs, but definitely not the how to do. So maybe go with Jared's. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, I'm feeling very introspective. Yeah. And uh, I, I hope everybody found this episode uh, useful. Yeah, Will, I really appreciate you coming on. I'm going to take, um, if or I guess Cody always does the show notes. If you could like take the whole bulleted area here, because there's a lot we didn't cover that's really good info, um, just check out the show notes um, for all this to be there, because there's a ton of like trauma-specific stuff for all sorts of things, like burns, specifically electrical burns, shock, um like electrical shock and shock after injury uh <laughs> just all sorts of shit to to run through um that's really comprehensive and it'd be a good you know at least a good starting point to learn more yeah there's definitely things in there that i was going to google later nice so yeah if you do end up getting a first responders book that will have all of that but this is a really killer like one pager yeah just like a quick checklist yeah beautiful beautiful yeah well cool. thanks for having me on guys I, I really appreciate it this was a lot of fun i'm glad i got to meet you cody yeah this is cool yep and well i'll send the link to the show in the group chat whenever uh it gets posted up right on yeah please do definitely do all righty guys cheers Peace and love. All right. See you guys later.